Welcome to LifeCast with Ryan Leak. All season, we have been talking about being unoffendable. And today, we're talking about racism. Mm. It is a very, mm. very current topic. Um, racism, obviously, has never left. Right. Um, but we are going to be talking about racism, diversity, and inclusion on can, today's episode. Can you, can you remember the first time you experienced racism? For sure. When was that? Grade school. What happened? My hair, my mom used to always do pigtails on me. So they were always in braids. So no one really knew the texture of my hair. Mm. And we were getting ready to have a fancy dinner. So my mom, she like flat ironed it, did a half up, and it was big. I had so much hair when I was little. Mm. And when I walked into the class with my dress, I was all excited. And this little girl goes, ew, your hair is different. Mm. It's not like ours. And it was, she was pointing to her and her little friends that were all, they were, we were all Latinos, but they were, I think, Mexican and maybe another Mm. part of Central America, but they all had that nice, straight, glossy hair. Mm. And I remember when I got in the car that day, I said, mommy, what's, what's wrong with my hair? Why is my hair different? Mm. And she started explaining to me like, well, everybody has different textures and we all come from different places. Mm. And as I never saw that as like, discrimination till I got older when I was like Mm. (laughs) it started when I was I think I was like in first second grade Mm. and I would always have this thing with my hair where I was always like people are going to talk about my hair or even it became the thing with me and my sisters all three of us have different textured hair um my dad Mm. is a very dark Puerto Rican my mom is very fair Mm. so we all have different texture hair and my sisters and I when our friends would come over they would all go your hair is so different from your sister Hers is really nappy. Yours is really loose. Yours is really... And we're like, do you do you hear what's coming out of your mouth right now? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say, like, on that, that side, yes. And obviously, I, I I can remember just discrimination on going to for a job interview, mm-hmm. you know? And just knowing that I'm not going to get the job because mm-hmm. the girl next to me was different, you mm-hmm. know? And... Come to find out, I remember I didn't get that job, but I knew the girl that worked there. And she's like, she didn't even have, she barely had a high school diploma. I said, wow. So what do you think often gets missed in conversations when we talk about race? Uh, I think it's been made a black and white issue. Mm. Um, where yeah. it's, it's We leave out so many other perspectives when we do that. And there are plenty of mixed people or simply that are not black or not white, that have very valuable perspectives in this conversation that I think often is is missed, that it's a, it's this war war between black and white, and, and I believe that, that that we're not the only ones in the room. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And for me, that hits home because I'm married to a Puerto Rican, and we have mixed children that are black, Hispanic, Mexican, and, you know, if you— pull me and Amanda's ancestry DNA, you get a whole bunch of things that, mm-hmm. that are in there. But um, so I, I think sometimes if you're not all black, if you're not all white, you're kind of just in the room. Yeah. And you're just like, do I, do what do I say? Do I, am I supposed to, mm-hmm. say am I supposed mm-hmm. to you know, so, so I, I think, <clears throat> I think it's important that as we have conversations about diversity and inclusion and racism, um, you know, I have a friend who's Asian that right when uh, COVID-19 really hit America hard, um, 
really starting February, early March, um, he started experiencing a great deal of racism because he simply looked like he was from China. Wow. And did not feel the space to talk about it anywhere Mm -hmm. because he just kind of had to just go, well, I'm not in the black and white conversation, so am I supposed to post about this? Am I supposed to bring about awareness to this? Am I? And so, so, so he he sort of had to manage that on his own. So, mm-hmm. so I think that, that that that's sometimes what can be missing in in some of these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that's definitely the I think the big problem with <clears throat> racism is that it's a it's assumed that it's always a black and white thing, mm-hmm. and um, as a Latina. I think that there's been times where I've been even told, like, you have so many white friends. Like, when I went to college in Florida and mm. I came back saying y'all, they're like, that's from your white friends. And it's like, what? So I think that Latinos, Asians, Indians, anyone that's, like you said, not black or white, can feel, like, stumped, can feel mm. stuck, right? Mm. So what does the average person do? When it comes to to, to to what do they do about racism when it comes about that? I think what the average person can do is uh, simply educate themselves. I'm on this journey. I have not arrived at a at a place where I know everything there is to know, even about my own heritage, mm-hmm. let alone yours. Yeah. Um, there's so much history. Um that's written by so many different types of people. And so sometimes we tell our history in our favor. Yes. And so just because it's in a history book doesn't make it factual. Make yeah, sense? for sure. And so, um, and, and that's not to to bring um, scrutiny towards the history books that are in schools. That, that That's not what that is about. But it is to say, okay, how am I educating myself on some of these issues and some of these races and their history that um, I may not be aware of. Sometimes you're doing that through watching a film. Sometimes you're doing that through watching a documentary, um, old-fashioned, reading a book. And I encourage people to read books from white authors and black authors Mm -hmm. on the history of what has taken place. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother was born in, I think, 1949. So I don't have to read her book. I could just ask her, mm-hmm. what was it like for you in the 60s as a 20-year-old? Yeah. You know, so 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 anyway, so th- those are some things that that I think we can be doing in, in really educating ourselves and, again, positioning ourselves as students, not experts. That's very important that we come to these conversations. Um, I'll, I'll speak frankly. frankly. Um, I've had some diversity and inclusion conversations in a room that is predominantly Caucasian where in an hour a Caucasian will will speak for 45 minutes and to me it's not that anything that they were saying was necessarily wrong or me going you know get your act together but it's a little presumptuous Mm-hmm. Are we here to listen to your thoughts or are you here to learn about a different perspective? Yes. Position. That's all it is. Yes. So there is something about, um, 
you know, we've talked about it before, listening, talked about it before, being curious. But th- this this position where we're going, I want to learn something about, about you. So before I get offended that you're saying something about white people, before I get offended that you're saying something about black people, before I get offended that you're saying something about the police, before before I fight you, I need to know, I need to understand you. Why, why is this narrative true? What, 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 how, how long have you had to sit with this? Mm-hmm. What, what, give, give me, give me a story behind it. Hey, here, here's, here's where I'm, I'm, I'm struck. A lot of times tone is everything. Absolutely. You know, yes. We talked about judgment a, a, a couple episodes ago. <clears throat> Judging someone isn't always heard. It's often felt. It's like I can I can feel someone judging. There's something about not what you say. Sometimes it's how you say it. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think in these conversations, you know, what can the average person really be doing? You know, I think they can be educating themselves. Um, there is the the formally, which is, you know, you can go to class, you go to school. My brother's got a certificate of diversity and inclusion from Cornell University. So there's some things you can do that are a little bit more formal, mm-hmm. um, you know, reading uh, movies, different things like that. But the informal is one-on-one conversations of, of going, hey, I'm I'm here to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm here to understand. I am not here to make a point. I am not here to get my perspective hurt. And I think when we all do that, mm-hmm. when we all um, are asking questions rather than giving out statements, yeah, I think we have an opportunity to... Um, to fight racism and have open and honest dialogue around it. For sure. Now, what do you think specifically white people can do, but not just white people, black people as well? Because I, I think that um, the black and white mm-hmm. issue in America yep. seems to always assume that white people are ignorant and they're, they don't know that they're privileged. Mm-hmm. And then it's also assumed that, well, all black people hate white people. Mm-hmm. All black people are this or that. So I, I want to like ask like specifically, what do you think these, the, the two, yeah, the two, the two major players, the major ones. Yeah, yeah. Are, are to do specifically. Um, I, I think for, for white people, um, what I would encourage a white person to do is to, uh, one, continue their education. Like we just talked about Secondly, um, I like to call it leveraging any access that you've been given mm-hmm. as a person that is white mm-hmm. and and may not even be aware of it. Like I didn't I, I I didn't I didn't know that I got the job because I was white. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that like and and sometimes they got the job because they it wasn't because they were white, it's because they weren't something else. Does exactly. That make sense? Yeah, so, for so sometimes, sure. Yes. Sometimes yes. it's a thing. Sometimes it's not. Yes. Um, but I think to have an awareness of, um, I was told my whole life, your gift will make room for you. Mm-hmm. But when I look back on my life, it wasn't a gift making room for me. Uh, oftentimes it was a well-meaning white person that was telling another white person, you should give Ryan an opportunity. That was someone that was leveraging the access that they had to someone of influence to say, 
hey, you should you should do this for Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell you literally 100 stories of that scenario. I've also had black people that have said, hey, you should you should have Ryan. But predominantly it's been it's been white men and women who have leveraged their access for me to have opportunities. Um, I remember um, at one point my parents could no longer afford a private education for me and my brothers. And there was a teacher at our school um, that I, I don't know who it was, but there was a teacher that said, we believe in your boys. Me and my husband want to pay for their tuition so that they can stay in school. So that was a white family that was leveraging the access that they had, the resources that they had for someone else. What people need to understand is 99% of African-Americans do not have a white person that is leveraging access for them. Yeah. Like that is not, Yeah. that is not a normal thing. So sometimes it's like, People go, well, there's guys like Ryan Leake. He, he can, man, he, if, if, he, if he can do it, well, then anybody can do it. That, that's, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Yes, I work my butt off. Yep. Yes, um, I went to school. Yes, I'm a, yes, I did some things. But so have a lot of other African-Americans that have not seen a tenth of the opportunities I've been given because um, in corporate America and in churches where there have been uh, white people who have vouched for me to say, hey, I'm going to leverage a little bit of the access that I have to help someone else. And so I think if if a white person's listening to this you know, on any front, if there's if there's any advantage that you see yourself having in that moment, leverage that for someone else around you. Um, I, I know several uh, moms now that are going, they, they've just noticed you know what, the, the lunches, the juice boxes that we have on the soccer field. Uh, they might play with uh, someone who isn't white that doesn't have a juice box at all. So they've just simply said, you know what, we're going to start packing extra juice boxes. And I don't know his story. But you know what, we've got access to a lot of, a lot of juice boxes. Mm-hmm. If you look in our pantry, we got, we got enough juice boxes for the neighborhoods. Yeah. So, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start bringing bringing extra. Sometimes it's, it's extra cleats. Sometimes it's, it's just lending a helping hand to, to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I, I don't know the stories of every single person around me, but if I can find an area in my life where I am privileged, where I've been given more access than the average person, then for me, I'm going to make a decision to say, you know what, what can I leverage for the betterment of humanity around me? And so even as an African-American, I'm constantly looking for new opportunities that I can pass on to someone else mm-hmm. that isn't me. You know, I'm always looking around going, who, who I've been given a lot of access and a lot of influence in a lot of different areas. And I, I don't believe I was given any of those things just for me. I, I hope and pray that God continues to allow me to have a thriving career where I can open up doors for others as well, mm-hmm. because so many people have opened up doors for me and and I could I could show you the the breadcrumb trail all the way back to that teacher when I was in the 4th grade mm-hmm. uh, up until last week of people that simply leveraged whatever they had yeah. to help me and so I I don't in my world I don't have a choice in my mind but to do that for others that's for for white people and I I pray that that's helpful yeah for for black people what 
um, I would say as a part of this conversation, what, what they can be doing is, is doing the best that they possibly can with their part. And, and really being able to look at the opportunities that are in front of them where they don't have access, where they don't have privilege. And I believe that there are lots of opportunities that it, it isn't fair. It's not. But what can you do about it? Yeah. You know, you, you can fight for justice. Mm-hmm. But until that war is won, between that time and now, there are many things that you can be doing to add skill sets to your tool belt. Yes. You might have to have twice as much experience to get the same job as someone with half your experience mm-hmm. that isn't black. Well, go get twice as much experience. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's not fair. It's like, yeah, I know. But it, what's, it's the, the, what's your alternative? And that's exactly what I was going to say. There's no other option and it's the world that we live in unfortunately you know it's 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 the world that says some of you are handed this right some of you have to climb and work and fall down the mountain and climb again and do it you know um i met this guy once african-american guy and he's a stockbroker right and i said you're a stockbroker i'm so like First of all, Pursuit of Happiness is one of my favorite movies. So I always find it interesting that when he said that, I automatically said in my head, not to him. I'm like, I never met a black stock broker. But it's it's true. It's like there's not a lot of African-Americans in that field. So I said right. to him, can you tell me your story? Mm. Like, how did you become a stockbroker? Right. And he's a stockbroker for a big company here in mm. Dallas. Like it's a nationwide or global company. He says, I worked at Target at 16 and I had this manager, Mm. a white older man that was just there because he was bored at home because he just he retired from being a stockbroker. And every time he went to lunch, he was my manager and I happened to have the same lunch hour as him. He would always tell me, hey, Tori, want to go to lunch? Free lesson on me. He would go to lunch, sit down and he would hear all about the stockbroker world. And the man would tell him, now I'm not telling you this so that you can go be a stockbroker. If you want to do that, I can help you with that. But I'm telling you this because you can access the money out there. You can know how to work it. You can know how to, you know, you're 16. So he started him Mm -hmm. on learning how to do stock, just buying, trading. Then when he was, he graduated high school and Mm -hmm. that man put him on a track Mm -hmm. in, in college for hmm. stockbroker. He got his MBA or in finance, whatever. And he's like, that man is the reason why, because he shared his wealth with me. Right. And it's what you were just saying about the leveraging access. You right. know, that man could have just looked at him like, oh, he's probably some kid from the hood and he doesn't know anything, but he changed the trajectory of his life. Yeah. But why? Because he was also open, what you were saying, yeah. like being a student, being able to say, yeah. I'm going to sit down with this person. I'm going to gain their knowledge. I'm going to gain that because I want to advance myself. Yeah. And, you know, there's there are some things in life that. You know, you have to wait for someone else to kind of create a path for you. There, there's some things like that, but there are some things you can create your own path for. Absolutely. So when you look at people in the world 
Um, I love the book Outliers by Malcolm. Yes. He talks about the 10,000 hour rule, Mm -hmm. um, which is the amount of hours it takes to become an expert in, in that particular field. You know, if you want to be great, go be great. Um, I need no one's permission to be good at what I do. Absolutely. No one's. Mm -hmm. And so, um, regardless of the amount of opportunities I will get or will not get, the way I wake up is I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I I am ready. Mm -hmm. So, Sometimes an opp- maybe I lose an opportunity to to the competition. That's fine, but when I get it, it's game on. Yes, because I have made a decision. I am not waiting for anyone else's permission or or anything else to line up to to work hard mm-hmm. to put in that effort. So I think um, it, someone may not see me as an equal. And that's fine for me as long as I see myself as an equal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I think there's there's a part of it that's going, yo, when I wake up in the morning, it, it it's game on. Yeah. And, and I'm going to work hard. Yeah. And um, I've been told so many things that I need to do to get ahead in business. And one of those things is, hey, dude, you, you got to learn to golf. You gotta learn to golf. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And, and and maybe I will at some point, but I'm like, at this stage in my life, I'm good. Yeah. Right, right where I'm at mm-hmm. as a hooper. Yes. Okay? And and I'm doing just fine. Yes. You know, and so I, I'm I would rather be myself working hard and have less opportunities than conform to what someone else wants me to be. Yeah. All of a sudden, I get their business, and I'm more successful in their eyes, except I've lost a piece of myself. You've compromised in other areas, yes. Now, my brothers are avid golfers. and they, Both of them? Both I know them. Aaron is. I don't know Corey both was. Of them, both of them love golf. Wow. And, and, they, and, and they're, they enjoy it. It's, you know, they're older than me. Mm-hmm. I still can play basketball yeah. at a competitive level. So, <laughs> and not to say that they can't, you know, undefendable guy. But, um, so it's not to say that I'll never play golf. It's just that if I do, I'll, I'll do it so I can play with my brothers. Yeah. It, it's not to get in a club. And, 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 and so on some level, we've got to look at our hearts and our motives for, yes. for why we do things. And again, if I meet someone on the golf course, that wants to do business with me, hey, that's great. Yes. But I didn't come here to do that. To, to do that. Does that make yes. sense? And so because it's um, what you said, it, it's the motive. Yeah. I think the in the business world, greed can right. be that driving motive of what am I gonna get out of this? The mm-hmm. ROI, right? Like if right. I go and pay a certain amount of right. certain amount of hours of golf, right. Ted's gonna sign right here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, so yeah, that's so good. Yeah. All right. So now what filter should mm-hmm. someone who's using um or someone who who's listening to voices like Sean King, mm-hmm. right? Or let's go all the way to the opposite. Yeah. Candace Owens, yeah. which she has caused so much of a stir a stir right. um on the polar opposite. Um so what filter should someone listening to both of these? Yeah, so um Sean King and 
Candace Owens both have uh, very strong followings. Um, and people also have very strong opinions about the both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are groups of African-Americans that don't like either. Yeah. And they they do find themselves on polar opposites of issues. And so um, I do think we do need a filter when we're listening to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think that I I try to give everyone my respect until they lose it. It's theirs to lose. Yes. Um, in my mind, it's not theirs to gain. Mm-hmm. I, I give them the human decency of an ear of going, uh, let, let me, let me hear them out. There are pastors that I disagree with 95% of every word that comes out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a 5% that I go, man, that's really good. Yeah. That's really good for us. That's really good for, for our souls. And I needed to hear that. Um, and so I, I, I see, I, I would put them in the same lane, not as a pastor, obviously, because that's not what either one of them are trying to be, but I put them in the same lane of just going, you know what? They, they are strong voices and they, they represent a lot of people. Um, and they, they, they both make some very interesting points mm-hmm. um, and much I disagree with, much that I do agree with. Um, but also as a person that speaks publicly, I I realize the difficulty of what they do and uh, respect the craft of what they bring to the table. And, and I, I think the filter we should put on them is that they're humans. Mm-hmm. They're humans with... Um, certain experiences and, um, you know, you could look at Candace's experiences versus Sean's experiences and a lot of the things that come out of their mouth come out of their, their pain, mm-hmm. um, their failures, their yeah. successes, their experiences with white men and women, uh, but Candace is married to a white man. She is. Uh-huh. So, um, so there, so I, I think. I think we should be very careful to ever make an idol out of anybody. Absolutely. Yes. I don't think that we should ever allow our fandom of anyone, in my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. besides Jesus H. Christ. Yes. um, To to idolize a person or put them above, you know, above God in some ways yes. that we subscribe to every single thing that comes out of their mouth. I, I just, I don't think we should do that with anybody. Yes. Um, but I think um, that we should, we should give people um, the human decency of an ear, mm-hmm. hear them out. And, and, and even when we hear things that are uncomfortable, that we go, I can't believe them. <laughs> I think those are moments that we should pause and go, is there any validity to what they just said? Yes. doesn't matter who it is. Is there any, yes. if, if it hurt? Why did it hurt? Mm-hmm. And 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 also, I think we have to realize too that for people like a Candace, people like a Sean, this is their job. Yeah, this is their livelihood. Yep. And so sometimes, what they're doing, you know, it, business can be mixed with the cause. And so sometimes you have to put a filter on. Well, this is their job. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, you know, they're 
part part of their aura and part of the success of their business is clicks, views, mm-hmm. shares. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. there is that element that is is there, and, and not to question the you know their their genuineness or their authenticity as to why they're doing what they're doing. Again, I can't see their intentions. I don't know them personally, mm-hmm. but I, I think to understand their craft. Um, I can tell from, uh, I follow both of them, mm-hmm. um, and listen to both of them mm-hmm. with an open ear. Yes. With a true open ear yes. of just going, mm, interesting perspective. Um, it's not Bible to me, it's yeah. in scripture, but I just go, okay, interesting, interesting perspective. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you, as, as I follow both of them, I can tell that they both read a lot, that they both are sitting with more people than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, and, and obviously, you know, for a Candace, she is aligned with a particular political party. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's um, just going to be some obviously implicit bias there. Yes. Um, God, like Sean, Sean, Sean calls everybody to the carpet. Yeah. You know, he, he I mean, he's, he's been coming for everybody. Yeah. He, like, yeah. if he, if he, he's going to tell you how he feels no matter what. Yeah. So you can appreciate that consistency. For sure. Um, I will say but, with Candace Owens, um, obviously, when I first, I've, I've known about her for years because mm-hmm. she's always been very strong with her political views. And I, and I would listen to her with an open ear. And besides the fact that sometimes she would just get on my nerves, um, it wasn't until recently that, um, I was on Facebook and there was a 14 and a half minute interview mm. with her T.I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. that interview is where I said, girl, I want to have coffee with you mm. because it actually changed. Like mm. she knows her stuff. She had a lot of valid points, mm. you know, she and, and it's like she's not against black people like mm-hmm. she. I know that she comes off that way and and that's where she needs to probably her publicist needs to help her with that. But I will say that I'm not saying that I'm going to go and wear Candace Owens. I love Candace Owens shirt. But what I will say is that my I opened my ears to like, Vasi, don't assume like just listen to what she's saying. And because obviously Sean King, I rock with him. I follow him. I like his podcast. I feel like he has a lot of things that he's saying that are really well. He's not, he's bringing a lot of things up to the, you know, forefront. But I think it's easier to follow someone that is exposing than someone that is mm-hmm. standing for the person that sure. a lot of people hate. So yeah. I think that that's what got me. And I think more of us should practice that. You know, it goes back to what you were saying. Mm-hmm being a learner and being constant student and reading the books and listening to the podcast, because that's, what's going to really get you to be that active listener, you know, cause yeah. we, we all have a Candace Owens in our family yeah, you know. or in our friends, you know, yeah. some of them are undercover. Some of them are out there, but I know, I know for a fact, I can say I have a few people in my life that I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think some people have, uh, used Candace Owens as a weapon. Mm-hmm. They've gone, see? <laughs> Told you! You know, and it's yeah, like, whoa, whoa, That's whoa, whoa, whoa. so what's, true. What's happening right now? That is so true. And so I think one of the things that we have to insert into this conversation is um, what, I, what I do wish I saw a little bit more from Candace is a little bit more compassion and empathy. 
yeah um for people that look like her yeah um and and, and so so I, I think what what can can kind of happen is the we I believe proximity breeds compassion whenever we're far away from an issue or whenever we're far away from a person it's easy not to care because they're way over there but i think That's the closer true. we get to someone um where it actually matters it's easy to talk about uh the lgbtqia community when they're not in the room and when it's not your brother yeah, that's. I was about to say that. And when, and when it's, it's not your it's sister, cl- yeah, close and when to. it's not your daughter, mm-hmm. and it's not your son, and so there, there's, there can be this, this distance from an issue, um, that I've had to definitely work on personally. I'm just going, man. I, I don't want to try and speak eloquently on issues I'm very far from, that affects me very little. Does that make sense? And so I think that there, there should be a, a respect and a a um in in these types of conversations i think it's important that we're moving towards people that these issues actually impact and not dismissing them Mm because it's so easy to do just be like well we don't think the same so whatever yeah Um, but i I think it's important that that we we move we move closer Mm -hmm. to people not further so going towards that how do we move forward (sighs) um Sent Marshall, CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, um, she often says diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being invited to dance. And it's this idea of... That's good. We can all be invited to a party, but I don't know if you've ever been at a party where it's just like you are at a party, but you're spectating. Mm-hmm. It's like you're on the sidelines. It's like you're at the party watching everyone else have Trying to the feel party, the vibe. Right? Yeah. But then when someone invites you to play a game, when someone involves you, when someone says, let's dance, it's like you're you're not just a spectator at the party. You, you're actually at, at the, the party. party. And so part of um, sometimes diversity is it's this idea of, well, we should just have someone that's not white on the staff. Okay, <laughs> let's hire a couple. Yes. Know? Well, okay, they're at the table, but when they talk, nobody listens. So it's one thing to be invited to the party. It's another thing to be invited to dance and say your voice matters. Yes. So I think what it, what, how we move forward is we have to value other people's opinion. We have to value other people's perspective, um, even when it completely disagrees with ours. That's exactly what I was about to say, that people that don't look like us, don't think like us, mm-hmm. we still have to give them that voice. And yeah, John Maxwell says this all the time. He says he tries to view everyone. He he puts an imaginary ten on their forehead that they're they're valuable. And if I can just treat everyone like they've got a ten on their forehead, you know, I can treat everyone equal. And I just thought that that was such an interesting mm-hmm. thing of just going, you know, any anybody that works that has a job where there's meetings, you know how it is. Yeah, when certain people talk, it's like. <laughs> We have them. Ten, nine. Okay, you're done. Great. All right. Now, where's the people that actually have something of value to add to this meeting? Okay, great. Okay, yes, that is so, so true. So to like engage yeah. in that person, yeah. you know, to, to truly value everyone's perspective. I laugh because there's a specific... Don't, like, don't put them on black. Oh, I'm on, not. On, on the I want my now. job. Okay. All there's right. a, specific, a specific like two, three people that when their hand goes up, 
You see people's phones out. Yeah. Like, here they go. Here they go. Can right. they just stop? Can they just email this question? Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. But then when we get the person that never says something, it's like, wait, what'd they say? Wait, that was really good what they said, you know? So yeah. that is so true. You know, this topic is so heavy. It is. It's so, um, especially now, like we're in 2020 and I can't believe it, but I mean, I hate to even say that. It sounds so cliche. I can't believe we're going through this, you know, but sure. no, I just, sometimes I sit back and I'm like, I'm, I'm living in a pandemic. Racial tensions are at an all time high. Sure. Political views are just, and it, it, and this topic being unoffendable. This entire season has been so fitting because I think when you talk about moving forward, that's another thing. It's like, take all of this and move forward with no offense because Mm -hmm. you're not going to wake up tomorrow and not get offended by anyone. Maybe, right? Okay, but if you answer your phone and it's someone that you may not want to hear from them, but they're going to say something uh, offense, right? But I think that because this racism topic is so huge in America, I think the best thing for us to do is what we just did, have a conversation. You Absolutely. Know? And I, one of the things I've tried to work hard to do is is create safe spaces for people to have conversations. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I'll ask a white friend, what question do you have for the black community that you would be afraid to ask out loud? That's for good. being... Uh, for fear of being called a racist or ignorant or, um, you know, no one wants that. No one's like, yeah, please call me a racist. People are almost afraid. Like, I don't want to be that, but I, I have some legit questions mm-hmm. that I don't feel like they have a safe space for. Um, and so I, I try to, and it's amazing what I find out, that they just would never say out loud. Mm-hmm. But then they create a safe space for me. They go, all right, so what's something that white people normally wouldn't know that you would be afraid to say out loud? And now all of a sudden we've got a safe room. Mm. We've got a safe environment. And so I think we've got to create that for each other without, without worrying about being offended. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing what happens when you take the gloves off. Yeah. Man, here's, and I've had some of my most profound conversations and some of those gloves off conversations of just going, well, here's what you really think. And here's what I really think. And here's how we can help people that, that are that are in between. So that's good. Good stuff. Yes. So let's talk about nonprofits. We're at the end. We're at the end. Who's um, our last spotlight? Um, I saw uh this TED talk of the founder of um Barbershop Books, um, the reading project. Um, we could check out this video of him giving it. Um, but Barbershop Books is a uh, a reading a holiday project where they are trying to um, help with literacy um, in barbershops all across America. That's awesome. So they create, um, because barbershops were our community areas where it's like you do life in a barbershop, especially in, in black communities. And so um, this organization creates uh, books that really educate um, young African-Americans. And I, I just think it's, it's an incredible organization. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of LifeCast with Ryan Leak. This has been a fun season. If this has added value to your life, what I would ask you to do is to share it with a friend, rate us, review us, and subscribe. We'll see you next season.